And so then we see that Abram keeps going further south. Why? Because what's the fourth obstacle that comes to the promises? What happens to the land? There's a famine. Now, God commands Abram to come down all the way here to Shechem. And he says, oh, by the way, everything you see, I'll give you. And then he comes down in Bethel and Ai. And he says, everything you see, I'll give you. And then it says we're told that Abram settles there and he begins to live between these two cities. But then we're told, and then a famine came into the land and Abram went down to the Negev, which is right here, and then he kept going further down the way of Shur into Egypt. Did God ever tell him to go to Egypt? Why did he go to Egypt? Because there's a famine. Which means, does he believe that God can take care of him in the famine? So his obedience is incredible, but it didn't last long. But at the same time, we can have sympathy for him because he doesn't know this God very well. Now remember, he is transferring his old way of thinking to this new God. Unless somebody teaches you differently, you don't know differently. And what he knows is that gods are limited to certain regions. And gods are limited to certain elements. This God is a God who speaks to you and promises you children. But can this God control the crops in Canaan. I mean, he spoke to you in Mesopotamia. That's a completely different region. And he promised you children. But can he truly take care of a famine in this land? And then when he goes to Egypt, he's not going to trust in God because can this God defeat the most powerful God that there is in Egypt? And that's Pharaoh. Pharaoh believed that he was the incarnation of a God, that he had all raw in him. He was the divine dwelling. The same way we view Jesus in a way is the same way they would view Pharaoh without the Trinity and the even more godness. And so the reality is, is Abram doesn't know better. What you need to understand is, in the beginning, let's not look at Abram as someone who's incredibly disobedient to God. Look at Abraham who's a child in his faith, and he needs to learn how this God is different. And this is going to be the first 12, 13, 14, and 15 chapters is that we're going, Abram's going to learn who God is. By the time we get to chapter 15, Abram knows who God is. So anything that Abram screws up on after chapter 15, he knows better. Right? So we're going to learn who God is. So he goes down into Egypt because there's a famine. Now the first thing he does is what? He's afraid what's going to happen to him. His Sarah is going to be taken from him. Now, this is incredible. She's 65 years old. And he thinks that she's so attractive that she might be taken by force. Now, before you think the beauty is in the eye of the husband, Pharaoh actually does take her because she's so beautiful. So there is incredible beauty to Sarah at the age of 65 that a, the god of Egypt, who can have anybody who he wants and probably already has a harem of thousands of women, is, says, I want her. Now, Abram, why is he more afraid here than in Canaan? Probably because in Egypt, in Canaan, it's the same kind of language. It's a Semitic language. Canaanites were Semitic just like the Mesopotamians were Semitic. So it's a similar culture, similar God, similar language. And they're all a bunch of city-states. Nobody is, their nations, their empire, their control is just a city. You go to Egypt, now you have a completely different language, you have a completely different culture, and you have a giant pharaoh over a giant empire. You're going to be a lot more scared. And notice what you've just done. You've left your family behind. Who's going to protect your rights? Nobody. And God can't do it. 
Because can he really transcend that many borders? None of the other gods can. And so he goes to Egypt and he lies. Now, we don't know whether he's lying or not. When we get to chapter 20, we're going to learn that Abraham says, Sarah is technically my half-sister because she's different mother, same father. But that's the only time that we're ever told that that's her relationship. And the process is that he's lying to Abimelech. So the question is, is that really true? Or is that another lie that he's telling with all the other lies to Abimelech? So he says, he's afraid. Now, before you think Abraham's this really bad person who passes Sarai off as like some prostitute or something like that, he might think that he is actually protecting her. See, if he's the husband, then he becomes a threat to what a man who thinks he's God can do whatever he wants. So he kills Abram, and Sarah's taken, and both of them are off for the worse. But if he acts as the brother, whether he's technically yet or not, then they're going to come to him to negotiate a marriage. And then he can probably say, well, that's not the right price. I want more. Or she's already promised to somebody else. Then you can enter into negotiations and delay it and then run away. Don't think of Abraham just like, I only care about myself. Go, be my shield woman. This is Abram who's realizing we are both nobodies in this powerful empire. It is actually a better chance of delaying somebody taking you because as a brother, I'm not seen as a threat. As a brother, you, even Pharaoh, has a responsibility to negotiate the marriage with me, which means we can delay, we can get away. So this is actually, in a worldly way, a very intelligent thing to do. The problem is he's depending on worldly logic and reason. And the reality is Pharaoh doesn't really care. Pharaoh's so self-absorbed and so all-powerful that he just steps in and says, I don't care. I'm not going to negotiate with you as a brother. I'm not going to offer you. I'm just going to take you. And Pharaoh knows that he's got more money than everybody else. So notice that Pharaoh just says, here, he throws a bunch of money on him. He throws a bunch of animals because you negotiate a price of marriage. We still do to this day. The husband pays for the money honeymoon and the bride pays for the wedding traditionally. So we're still exchanging bribes. So the reality, <laughs> he throws so much wealth at Abram that he's probably thinking, I'm God, I'm king, all this wealth that you've never seen before. It doesn't matter whether she's promised to anybody else. Who wouldn't give up all those negotiations to have all this? And Pharaoh takes her. Now, what's interesting is that every scholar agrees that he probably did sleep with her because of the plagues, the, 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 the severity of the plagues, the fear of Pharaoh, the condemnation that Pharaoh has for Abram, it's so severe, and the way that things are worded is that he actually did sleep with her because the wrath of God pours out. Now, why is this story here? One, it's showing you who Abraham is as one who trusts in himself. He doesn't really understand Yahweh, but what's really here is this is threatening the promises of God because if Sarah ends up getting pregnant, Pharaoh can claim legitimacy to it. It's not like they have DNA testing back then. And then that means he can claim the promises of God or the promises of God come null and void. And so the reality is the main reason that this story is in here is it becomes a threat to the promises of God. Why? Because of Abram's lack of faith. Abram's lack of faith threatens the promises of God. But here's the other important thing you must understand. Despite that, God's promises do not get undone. God's promises do not get undone. So God comes down. 
and vengeance. This is the other reason why God's going to, one of the reasons that God's going to wait so long to bring a kid, 25 years, is you've got to get far enough from Pharaoh that it'd be, I mean, you don't need 25 years, but one, we'll talk about the other reason later. You've got to get somewhat far away from Pharaoh that you've distanced yourself completely from that incident. And so basically, Sarah's now been violated. Pharaoh, Abram is not being a blessing to Pharaoh. He's become a curse to Pharaoh. And Abram's threatening the promise of God. So his really good start of abandoning everything to follow this God has come to a screeching, crashing halt and slammed up against a brick wall and left a greasy stain on the floor. The reality is the promises are threatened, Sarah's been violated, and his main purpose for existing, he's actually become a curse to Pharaoh rather than a blessing. So when he walks away, Pharaoh's going to think, hypocrite. Not exactly like that. That's a little bit more of a modern understanding. But he's going to think, oh, well, I don't want to be a part of this guy. He's the one who brought judgment and plagues on my house. And that's why he comes to him. And notice the irony here. Pharaoh stands over Abram and says, why have you done this to me? Why have you lied to me? And Abram never responds. Either he's never given a chance to respond to Pharaoh or the narrator doesn't allow him to respond because Abram is guilty. And here's the irony. The Pharaoh seems to have a better understanding of morality and right and wrong than Abram does because adultery is punishable by death even for an emperor like this. And adultery, even in the ancient world, is considered one of the worst sins you could ever commit. It was a violation of a covenant made before the gods. And the gods were taken way more seriously than your covenant before God today in America is taken. And so Pharaoh is now under the death penalty because this guy lied to him. And he has a better understanding of right and wrong than Abram. He sends Abram away. And Abram is not allowed to say anything or give a word in. He has no defense, no nothing. And the narr- that's the narrator's way of saying, Abram's without excuse. Abram's without excuse. Because he depended upon himself. He depended upon the laws to protect him. Now, he's sent away with all these blessings. And here's the other thing. Remember, we're going to keep seeing Abram to fail. But the idea is that God still blesses him anyways. This is what's so amazing. You know, it is so easy for us to get caught up in this, like, I've screwed up again. I've screwed up again. Like, I'm in my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, and my 60s. Why haven't I overcome this? Why do I keep doing the same thing over and over again? There's no way that God's going to bless me anymore. There's no way that God can use me. Am I even a Christian? Maybe many of us have moved beyond that because we've just seen God so amazingly. But as you're younger, you might think, am I even a Christian? Am I even really saved? But I hope that as we go through this, you're going to see people screw up over and over and over again, and yet God keeps coming in in an unfathomable, unexplainable way. He keeps blessing them, and He keeps using them, and He keeps redeeming them, even when there's no sign of repentance from Abram right here. We don't know whether he repented or not. And so these are the the three things I really want you to grasp upon. If you remember nothing, This is what every story is about. That God is the only God that steps into your life and pursues you despite your fallenness. Abram, pagan, worshiping other gods. God steps in and pursues him. Number two, that God is the only God who will redeem you despite your constant failures. 
that even though you keep failing and failing and failing, he still chooses to bless you and redeem you and pursue you. And that's what we're really going to develop throughout this. And number three, that no matter how much you screw up, he will still continue to use you to further his plan of redemption in other people's lives. That not only will he continue to redeem you, but he'll continue to use you in the redemption of other people. And that's what we're going to see. He's blessing Abram despite his sin. But he's going to keep building Abram up as this nation to bless other people despite his sins and failures. And the last one is this. Number four, nothing that you do can derail the plan of redemption. That no matter how big Abram screws up, it does not threaten the legitimacy of Isaac's birth that will eventually lead to the redemption of humanity. And I'm going to keep pounding those four things over and over again. Why? Because I think the narrators are pounding those things over and over again. For every story in the Bible, every story in the Bible, that this is the point that God is making. And then he goes back to Bethel Ai. Now notice that we're never told that the famine is over with. It doesn't say, oh, by the way, the famine is over with, and, the, and Abram goes back and everything is good now. He's gone right back in the famine. And he goes back in the famine, he goes back to where he left off, and it says that he sacrificed to God there, and he worshipped God. That worship is not praise songs. That worship is he's giving his life to God. He's sacrificing things that he needs to survive to God. He's worshipping God. What's the point? It's kind of like going to go and collecting $200. It's a clean slate. This is the last place that you are faithful to me, Abram. You got off track and you screwed up big time here. Now I'm bringing you back and through your sacrifice, I'm wiping the slate clean and we're going to start where we left off, where you were last obedient to me. And this is what God is doing with Abram. And then also Abram has learned something huge. This God spans borders. This God spoke to me there. This God has delivered me in Egypt. This God is now providing for me in the famine in Canaan. No other God transcends borders. And not only that, this God is taking care of me in the lack of fertility in the land. This God has promised that he'll give me fertility. This God is loving me and forgiving me when no other God has ever has. And this God can even defeat the most powerful king in the world militarily and put the fear of God into Pharaoh who thinks he himself is the highest God that there is. Why? Because he has the biggest, baddest nation at that point. And so Abram begins to learn who God really is and the faithfulness of God, so that when next week, when we get to chapter 13, you're going to see an Abram that's going to function differently because he's now learned who this God is. This is the idea that God is, this isn't just about being a morally good person. This story is about what God does in our lives and how he uses us to redeem other people. And that's what my hope is, is to start putting all this together for us so we can see that bigger picture. Any questions? Insights?